Welcome to a new episode of True Wisdom, where we celebrate the birth of Christ on this episode and uh, what the birth of Christ means to us as Christians. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Rob. Knowing that the topic is about true wisdom, and yet wisdom is not all that there is to knowing about God. It's not always a wisdom thing. But this question is an interesting question for you. Going over the Gospels, mm -hmm. specifically about the birth of Christ, we'll see that only two Gospels cover the birth of Christ, and from very different aspects, where Matthew covers Herod and the wise men, whereas Luke covers Simeon and Anna. Why do you think the Gospels were written in such a way? Well, I'll, I'll even add an, an extra twist to it. Matthew covers the gospel through the mother, and Luke covers through the father. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you look at the way the lineage is lined up, <clears throat> because it was important to show that the Messiah was the Messiah. And Matthew, being Hebrew, being an Israelite, did it through the the side where... where um, where they were most concerned about it. Uh, Matthew, and I said that in the reverse order, Matthew goes through the lineage of the father, right? He shows it the way that they show the genealogies typically. Um, and so he goes all the way through Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not his, even though it's not Christ's biological father, still we come through that lineage to show that it's the right place. And then Luke focuses on the mother you know, being Greek and and them being more concerned with the biology in a in a strictly natural standpoint, mm -hmm. and they show it coming through Mary and and her worthiness to be the right person in in the in that lineage to track it. So God is covering the base for everyone, no matter what background they come from, no matter what philosophy of life they have. He's he's showing throughout the whole process the significance of um, of the Messiah and his fitness for that role. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And our theme, going back to wisdom, is Proverbs 9, Proverbs. 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Right? Proverbs 9, 9, and 10. That's what you, you said in the beginning, that wisdom wasn't the whole thing. That wasn't all that salvation and the gospel is about. And in fact, the verse tells us that the knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. All right. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have the opportunity to conduct Bible studies this way. We pray, Lord, that you will guide our words and our thoughts and help that everything that we say and do will be done to your name's honor and glory and the furtherance of your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what do you have for us to cover today on this day that we celebrate as Christmas? All right. So, um... Just the preliminaries 
we know scripturally that Christ was not born at this time of the year. We know that it that this became the focal point at a much later point in in the after the apostolic church had started to go a little south. Um, we understand all of that, but we know that Jesus was born, right? Um, we know that he was born. We know that his birth was important enough that God sent angels and wise men from from foreign lands, and God made a big deal of hoopla. He just chose not to record the specific time. Now, the Bible is pretty clear that Christ did his ministry for three and a half years, and we know when his ministry ended, right? We're, we are very clear on the date that his ministry ended. So if you go a half a year back from there, you would know that he was born more so in the fall than in the winter, right? But mm. be that as it may, right, we're not here to hype up the day. We're here to hype up the event. And what I would like us to look at today is the fact that, that what the incarnation represents is something spectacular. We've talked about it in a couple of podcasts before. Um, check out Isaiah 9, verse 6. Check All out right. Isaiah 9, 6. Bible gateway that we normally use. And it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay. One of we, my favorite Handel's Messiah songs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We tend to emphasize, and, and we've gone through this a couple of times when we've been going through other podcasts, other studies, we tend to emphasize that Jesus came from heaven, became a man, so that he could die for our sins, instruct the people, set up his new church, go back, come and pick us up again. But we don't emphasize that in taking on humanity, Jesus wasn't pretending. Jesus was legitimately adding something to his resume. Something that would become dominant in his resume. Jesus became a man. Okay? Now, the wise men and all these folks understood that Christ was born a king. The reason, why is, so let me ask you this question. <clears throat> why is it true that Christ was born a king? Because it is true. They were, they were not inaccurate on that. Upon what basis did they conclude? Well, I, I, you know what? I can't ask the question that way. I'm not sure what basis they concluded it. They looked at the stars. They looked at the prophecies. On what basis should we conclude that Christ was born a king? Well, we can look upon it the same prophecy. Um, and Isaiah mentioned he's a prince, the prince of peace. Um, okay. We can also look at it, well, not from a lineage thing, because the kingdom was taken away from David um, when it was given to Jeroboam and Rehoboam. So even though he's in the line of David, um, mm -hmm. you can't just say that the that qualified him to be a, a prince. 
Um, but he was the son of God. I mean, God is the king, and therefore... You must be... Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, finish, finish what you're saying. No, I was just going to say, therefore, as the son of God, he wasn't Joseph's son. He had no earthly father, and so he would have kept his lineage from God himself. See, but but here's the problem that I have with that. Mm-hmm. He's he's born a king more so because of his David lineage than because of his heavenly lineage. And yet, though he was in the line of David, that's still attributed to Joseph, isn't it? Both. That's why. That's why I was pointing out. If, let's, so let's go over to. Um, let's go over. Well, before we do that, I've got so many thoughts, so many things going at once. Um, so many things going at once. Oh, oh, good. Let's. There's a promise that that God makes to David, right? There's a promise that God makes to David, and um, I believe it's the one in the psalm. So let's see if I will find that one. It's the one that should be in another psalm, Second Samuel. I'm all over the place. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter 7 from verse 12. Okay? From verse mm-hmm. 12 to verse 17. Okay, oh, do it from verse 8. From verse 17. Yeah. All right. 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 17. Mm -hmm. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep's coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall bind an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Okay. Now, most of the time we'll look at that, verse 13 and 14, and we'll assume that it's it's um, Solomon that's being spoken of. Mm. And in a way, it is. 
in a way it is. But this goes beyond Solomon. Right. Right? right? Because who is the name of the kingdom and whose name is the kingdom referred to from here on out? To this day, it's the kingdom of David. Correct. It's never mentioned as the kingdom of Solomon, right. except during the time that it actually reigned. Right? So if, if God had set up the kingdom of Solomon forever, it would have been anchored like David in the same way that we have Abraham who gets the promise, and then Isaac gets the promise, and now it's Ab- the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then Jacob gets the promise, and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, right. We never say the kingdom of David and Solomon. Mm. It gets anchored on David, and the person at the end is not just Solomon, who part of that applied to, because in, in 14, if he committed iniquity, Solomon ended up doing that. And he was chastened with the rod of men. But God never took the kingdom from Solomon. Even with everything. It wasn't until after Solomon that the king was the kingdom was taken. So the prophecy somewhat applies to Solomon, but it absolutely applies to Christ. I see. Okay. So you can still trace that lineage down the whole way. Oh, completely. Completely. Now, um, uh, Matthew, we did the, the genealogy of, we go through the genealogy of Joseph as the father, but let's go to Luke instead. Luke 1, look at verses 26 and 27, or 26 through 28, I should say. 26 to 28 of Luke 1 of Luke says, mm-hmm. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So this is Luke chapter 3. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Eli, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Malchi, which was the son of Janna, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Amos, which was the son of Nahum, which was the son of Esli, which was the son of Nagi, which was the son of Math, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Semi, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of Rehassa, we yeah, Rehassa, which was the son of Zorababel, as in Zorababel, yes, which was the son of Selathiel, which was the son of Neri which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Adi, which was the son of Kosem, which was the son of Elmodam, which was the son of Ur, which was the son of Jose, which was the son of Eliezer, which was the son of Jorim, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Simeon, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joseph, 
which was the son of Jonan, which was the son of Eliakim, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Menan, which was the son of Mathah, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Salmon, which was the son of Nashon, which was the son of Aminad, Aminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Esram, which was the son of Phares, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Thara, which was the son of Nacor, which was the son of Sarak, which was the son of Ragai, Ragai, which was the son of Phalak, which was the son of Heber, which is the son of Salah, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noe, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Melel, Melel, yes, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of God. Isn't that, isn't that, what, Abraham, you said Abraham. Adam, <laughs> did I say Abraham? <laughs> it is clearly well, Adam. So, let, let me help you out. Do Matthew 1-1, one, one, just 1-1. One, one. Matthew 1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, so you see how you see how the the, the Jewish mindset is. They locked into the to David, and, and they lock into Abel. Okay, Jesus inherited inherits all of the promises given to Abraham, right? Well, wasn't he the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham? In you, all your nations will be blessed? That is, yes, but it's weird because he is a fulfillment and he inherits. Hmm. Interesting. It's, it's really tied together. Remember where Jesus asked them um, if David, whose son, he asked about the Christ. Whose son is he? And they say, he's David's son. He said, okay, well, if he's David, if he is the son of David, why does David in the spirit call him Lord? Right, right. And that set everyone down. Right, because you see, the person who comes to be the son of David, it also has the divine. It's the son of God. Right. But it's the... Did Jesus spend his time saying the son of man, the son of man, the son of man? He's emphasizing the part of it that we, we tend to downplay. Mm. Understood. Right? Um, you talk about the, um, you talk about his lineage. Here's a verse for you. Let's go to Ezekiel 
Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 21. Okay. Ezekiel 21. Yeah, and you're going to start at verse 25. Right? There's a prophecy made to the king of Judah at that time. And you're going to go from 25 to 27. All right. This is Ezekiel 21, starting at 25. And thou, profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. I will overturn, 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 and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Okay. Pay attention to what was said in verse 27. He's, he's speaking to this king, existing king of Judah, and he's like, you have been wicked. You have brought evil on this whole situation. I told you guys to just simmer down and submit yourselves to the king of Babylon. I sent him. He's here to take care of some stuff for me, but you couldn't do it. Okay? So now I'm going to take away all kingship from you. You couldn't do it as a subservient king. You will have no kingdom. I will take it away and I will overturn, overturn, overturn it until the person comes whose right that kingship is. Because remember, remember, Israel was never supposed to have a king. Yeah. They, God had them judges and they clamored for a king. And God told Samuel, sure, give it to them, but first warn them that it's not going to go well. And so they ended up with a king. And the Lord humored them by allowing them to have a king. And then he made sure that his king would come through the lineage of that king. But now, now they have messed around enough. And the Lord says, no, I'm done with you. There will be no more kings of Israel from now. None. Until the king of Israel shows up, mm. whose right it is, then I will give it to him. So even though the people deviated from the plan, God said, fine. You're not supposed to have a king. I was just going to provide a king here. After the order of Melchizedek, I could have done both the priest and the king. But fine, we want to have a king. We'll have an earthly king. Here's a king that's after my heart. We will make the kingdom after his kingdom from the tribe of Judah. Because I was always going to do it from the tribe of Judah because I'd already prophesied that the scepter was going to be in Judah through Jacob on his deathbed. Okay, so now... Bad king, you're out of the picture. Take off that diadem. And you see that from the captivity of Babylon, they never again have a king. Right. They only have governors, and they never, ever get a king. Yeah, because king, so Herod, said, oh. king Herod during the time of Jesus wasn't their actual king. He was appointed by the uh, Romans. The Romans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a Roman, he was a Roman uh, employee. Okay? Official. So, so here, Christ comes born in the lineage of the earthly kings of the line of David, born to inherit that kingdom, born to take on all of the responsibility of leading Israel, but at a much higher level than, than David ever got to do. Right. 
And so, so Christ, when he inherits the kingdom, is ultimately inheriting it as the son of David. He's not inheriting the kingdom. He's not inheriting the earth and its kingdom as the son of God. Interesting. He's inheriting it as the son of David. His, his primary role as the son of God is to be able to bear the sins of all the people. Like you couldn't send a human or an angel to, to bear all sins. There's no way that that one life would be able to substitute for all of the lives that have ever lived. Only God could do that. Right, all of the sins that have ever been committed. Right. Only God could do that. And so only God could become incarnate as a human to do any of the rest of it. But after, after giving up his divinity, he lived his life as a man we dependent on the Holy Spirit for guidance. He operates as we operate. Oh, okay. He operates as we operate. In fact, having the, the having his divinity in his back pocket, as it were, was a much greater temptation than we tend to point out. Right? This is why Satan attacks him that way. Like one of the things we do have to appreciate about the 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 gospel and the temptation in the wilderness is that Satan had a lot of practice, 4,000 years of practice by the time Christ came on earth. And he was already successful at, at tripping up one third of the angels and at getting the human family and at getting a lot of people throughout that time. So, you know, he's gotten better. So when he starts his, his attack from, if you be the son of God, do this, he is targeting the worst possible angle, or I should say the best possible angle for his objective, he is, he is targeting on the best place. Satan doesn't play that soft, soft, soft. You know, he, he started at the hardest point. His goal was to get the, the temptation over in temptation one. Right. So he's saying, if you really have this power, show me. Because I don't believe it. If you really are that person, show me. Because there are a lot of fake people roaming around here talking about being the son of God. Hmm. He starts at what would have tripped up someone who was not as connected to God as Christ was. Right. Prove yourself. Prove yourself. Right. Prove yourself. But the point, but the proof he wanted was of who Christ was. And and I say was, it's it's strange to say because Christ didn't stop being the son of God. But having taken on the that role is more critical in certain ways. Right? This is why Paul called him, when Paul is going through Hebrews and he's talking about the sanctuary and all of the things that Christ does, he keeps saying the man Christ Jesus. He's emphasizing that side of, of Christ's personhood at this time. Because that's the side that we depend on. With the exception of him needing to be divine for, for two reasons, because it wouldn't have been fair to make someone else go through all of that. And that's the first reason. The second reason is because only a divine entity could have borne all of those sins. With the exception of those two key points, which are very important points, you can't divorce them from the plan of salvation. But with the exception of those two points, everything Christ does, he does as a man. Yeah. 
Very much so. Does as a man. Every single thing in Christ's life that he did, we could do except die for the sins of the whole world. That's the only way that we could never follow him. So when we think at this time of the year, when we think about who Christ is and what he did, we need to understand that he essentially gave up everything that he was in order to inherit a new lineage that will be forever his destiny. That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that, and we don't think about it like that. We we tend to we tend to focus on on the divine person. And and I don't want us to ignore that because him being divine allows him to bridge that gap in the plan of salvation, right? That's essential. It's not inconsequential, it's essential. But all that he did when we when we look at Christ and, and how he turned the other cheek, how he handled the different things that came at him, how he lived day by day, how he connected himself to his father. When we look at all of those things, we tend to say, well, of course, he's the son of God. Of course, he's divine. Of course, he's deity. And we disregard, no, he's very much human. And he gave up everything to be human. And the only thing his divinity did for a great portion of that time was add a chunk, a channel of temptation for him. Because he had it there. I mean, it, if you had all that power, all that authority, your mere thought can switch things around. People spitting at you? Really? Hmm. Yeah, people, you know what I'm saying? It's easy people just, to tolerate people spitting at you when you can't do anything about it. Right. So at this time of the year, when we think about this, let's think about how awesome it is that Christ is willing to give up all that he did have in order to obtain a new, a new inheritance. This is why in, in Acts 4.12, for there's none other name given among men under heaven, given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ inherited. He, because of what he went through, he's been given a name that's more awesome than any other name. Because of what he went through. Because he overcame. That's why he says in Revelation seven times, he that overcometh, I will do this. Because overcoming is such a huge part of everything. So I want us to think about that as we go through um, this time of year and, and really think about the awesomeness of everything that was done for us. Not just uh, the baby, the star, the wise men. No, think about the magnitude of giving everything up, starting totally hopeless, going through life for 33 and a half years, much of which you're being abused by people you're here to help. And looking forward to an inheritance that in some ways was less than you had, but in other ways is greater. Yes, he started out his life under the threat of death and ended mm -hmm. his life here on earth by being killed for the same mm -hmm. people he came to save. Mm-hmm. So let's. And uh, yet the Bible tells us he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Yeah, that is a powerful thing. And we covered quite a few verses today. Uh, we went from Luke to Matthew to Isaiah uh, to Ezekiel. 
Hope mm-hmm. you all are ready at home with your notes. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and pray us out. Uh, dear Lord, let us not take for granted as we have commercialized the significance of your birth. And it's, it's better to give than to receive, that is true. And this is a good time for family, that is true. But our salvation is so much more important, and sharing this message with others is the most important. And that we can let others know that what you came to do is not just give us small gifts that will fade away, but give us everlasting life. So be with us, help this message to sink in, and help it to be a rallying call, a rallying cry to those who hear it. Amen. Amen. All right. And do you go in depth with this on your podcast? Tell us again, what's the name of your podcast? Podcast is Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. It's also on Buzzsprout at BibleStudy.ASBZone.com. Um, we do go into several um, studies about the life of Christ, his ministry, his divinity, his humanity. Um, so when we post this one, we'll also link to those other podcasts in there. Definitely take the time to study it and to contemplate it this, this season, not just for the season, but especially at this time. And of course, you can find more about True Wisdom at truewisdom.buzzsprout.com as well as our own website uh, where you can email us at info at truewisdom.info and reach out to us. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions or comments, we look forward to hearing from you. And we thank you for listening, and we pray you will be blessed.